Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, including states eyeing abandoned Bitcoin wallets for their unclaimed property funds. YouTube and Spotify, according to some record labels, might be worse than piracy. And these are the free tiers that actually pay those record labels. Do you want sci-fi? Well, get ready to pay a subscription because another hit sci-fi show is leaving free broadcast TV and going over to a paid subscription service. We'll look at my thoughts on the Vive Pro VR headset that I picked up during Prime Day. Uh, We'll also talk about how Amazon did on this uh, year's Prime Day sale, the one that went on for two days. Uh, We'll also look at solid-state drives and network-attached storage and why they may become a solution in the near future, if not now. And we'll take a peek inside of a telephone scam. Uh, We covered this on the channel in the very early days of what I was doing here, and there's a great channel that's dedicated itself to nothing but burrowing into their networks and seeing how they operate. Fascinating stuff for my pick of the week this week, and we've got a lot to talk about. Index is down below in the video description, and let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. They include Dan G. and Kurt Kovach, who gave via the donor box page. We also have some super chatters uh, who contributed during my live stream and last week's premiere of this wrap-up. They include Mark Bollinger, Maurice Smith, Guillermo Vega, and David Parker. I want to thank everyone for their contributions to the channel this week and those of you who have been making ongoing contributions as well. I really do appreciate it, and I also appreciate everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by our friends at Wondershare once again with their PDF Element app that lets you edit PDFs and do a lot of other cool things with them as well. Uh, They have an all-new version, PDF Element 7, that includes a redesigned user interface, more advanced writing tools, team collaboration features, and more powerful conversion tools and a lot of other new features as well. And I thought we would pop into it real quick and take a look at what this new version looks like. So here we are inside of the new PDF element interface, and it is much more document-centric. You will see more of your document on screen than you would with the prior version of it. And when you need to get at different tools, they will be right here on the left-hand side of the screen. You can just click on the little button here and pull out what you're looking for. Now, what I can do with PDF Element, and one of the things that I use it for the most, is editing PDF files. And this happens a lot. Somebody emails you a PDF and says, hey, can you change something on this real quick? And of course, usually the answer is no. But what's nice about this is that you can make changes. Uh, Now, right now, I can't change this document because it's just an image that I scanned into a PDF a number of years ago. But PDF Element recognized that it is a document with just an image in it and gives us the option to perform OCR, or Optical Character Recognition. And when I do that, what it will do is start looking at all of the text and numbers in this document, and it's going to create a new PDF in a non-destructive way that I can then make changes to. So I'm going to click on Open here, and if I zoom in on the document, you can see that I can hit my text tool up here and go into this first number here and maybe change this 5 to a 4. 
Now, it will sometimes change the uh, layout of the text here. You can just drag it back over and put it back into place. And now we have a new number uh, there. I can even change the year here from 2010-2011 to 2019-2020. And now I've been able to edit a document that has essentially been uh, unchanged for the last seven or eight years, and we're done. I can click save and move on from there. Now, there's a lot more to see with PDF Element. They have a free trial available as well. And right now, it's being sold at 40% off for the remainder of the week here at the link that you see on screen and also down below in the video description. So definitely check it out and start editing your PDFs today. So let's take a look now at the Weekend Review on the Extras channel. I uploaded a fun little video of me messing around with the Mr. the other night. Uh, we've covered the Mr. here on the channel in the past. It is an FPGA-based device that allows you to replicate through hardware a number of retro computer systems along with arcade cabinets and game consoles. It's really cool. It's been developing uh, quite quickly lately because there are so many people now contributing to this open source effort. And what I was doing the other night was using the 486 core uh, to dial out to Telnet BBSs in DOS because you can now connect up to a virtual modem in Mr. Uh, that allows you to type in the modem commands along with a telnet address and it will actually dial up and make the core think that it's talking to a modem. So we dialed out, but we also managed to set up a little BBS and allow people to dial in as well. A uh, fun little project. I was just messing around with it one night. I've been meeting to do more with it and that is the result. I might do a little live stream coming up with some of the newer things that I've been uh, messing around with on this project because if you're into retro, this is probably one of the most fun ways to tinker with it. Uh, because you get very accurate replication of these consoles and computers, and it's a lot of fun just to play around with and tinker with. So that is my uh, latest little experiment there. On the main channel, we had a bunch of stuff this week, including my review of the DS419 Slim. It's a little NAS device from Synology. Uh, we also did a video about how to expand your Synology NAS. I get a lot of traffic in the long term uh, with these how-to videos, given how complicated network-attached storage can be. So as I was setting it up, I had an opportunity to create a video to talk about how to add drives to your NAS, and it made a good opportunity to make one, so there you go. Uh, we also did my Prime Day haul, where I unboxed all the stuff that I bought at Prime Day. Got a couple of things, actually, for a good price to help with production and future live streams, so that was a fun little unboxing. A lot of you enjoyed that. And we reviewed a really nice gaming laptop from Lenovo. It's the Legion Y540. It's got the new 1660 Ti built in. And it's pretty thin and light for what it is. And it delivers performance on par with a GTX 1070. And I, I think you can get it actually for well under $1,000 now too with an i5. So it's definitely something worth taking a look at. And then we did a live stream because I was... Uh, experimenting a little bit with the Samsung Odyssey Plus. That was another thing that I picked up on Prime Day uh, because what I am in the process of doing is putting together a consumer-oriented virtual reality guide, and I want to try every major VR system for that. So Windows Mixed Reality was something I hadn't yet played with. Uh, there was a sale on the Samsung Odyssey Plus headsets, which work under the mixed reality format from Microsoft, and it had a very nice high resolution. So we unboxed it, plugged it in, and started experimenting with it. And one of the fun things was that a number of you were uh, in Rec Room at the time, so we brought in a few viewers into Rec Room via virtual reality, and they were able to join the stream and talk to us about Rec Room and how it works and one of the neat things about that was that everyone was on different platforms. So Eric Bazinga, who's a frequent uh, viewer here on the channel, uh, he was running Rec Room on the Oculus Quest, but I was running it on Windows. 
uh, via Steam VR inside of Windows Mixed Reality, and it worked out great. So you can check that uh, stream out down below in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And the first item appeared in Lilliputing this week. It looks like there might be a new Fire HD 10 tablet on the way. Uh, we reviewed the original HD 10 when it came out about a year or two ago. And the performance on that one was actually pretty good for its sub $200 price point. It doesn't beat out an iPad, but it's certainly a lot faster than some of the other tablets that Amazon is selling. And if they do indeed have a new one in the mix, it might be fun to see if they bump up the processing power on that. So we'll have to keep a lookout for the new Fire 10. And if you've got some unused cryptocurrency sitting in a wallet somewhere, be advised. Uh, Many states are looking to start applying escheatment laws to cryptocurrencies. And if you don't know what escheatment is, it's basically the practice of the state taking money out of dormant bank accounts and putting it into their coffers. Uh, You can get your money back if you go in and apply for it. Uh, But what I found in my own personal experience is that I have an account that I don't use much at all. And the bank calls me up every two years or so and says, hey, you got to take some money out or put some money in so that we can show activity. Otherwise, we're required by law to turn it over to the state. And what the state authorities want to do in various states here in the U.S. is have this same law apply to cryptocurrency accounts that are going unused. Uh, Right now, that is not the law, but it looks like many states are looking at it. And Roll Call has an entire story about this that you can find at the link you see on screen. Uh, What's interesting about this is that I would imagine it would apply to uh, those wallet services like Coinbase and others, because I have a bunch of Bitcoin wallets that have a few tenths of a Bitcoin, or, or less than that actually, just sitting in them unused. And I'm sure there's a lot of abandoned cryptocurrency all over the place in private wallets. But I think, again, this would apply Uh, to services that are hosting wallets for you. Uh, But nonetheless, if you are into cryptocurrency, this is something that you probably want to check out and learn more about. Now, if you are a fan of free music on YouTube and Spotify uh, on their free tiers, you might want to read this article in Torrent Freak. It looks like the record industry is seeing these free tiers on subscription services as a potentially bigger challenge, according to this headline, than music pirates were. And this is coming out of the fact that in Italy, The record industry was successful in requiring ISPs to block pirate sites. They were not able to do that in the United States with SOPA and PIPA, which had a huge backlash, if you might recall. But in other parts of the world, they had a little bit more success. And apparently Italy has been kind of the test bed for this. And so in blocking all of these pirate sites in Italy, they found that traffic to those sites from Italy reduced significantly, which is what you would expect. However, those people that were going to the pirate sites ended up just going to Spotify and YouTube, which are legal, but of course can be used for free. And the record industry doesn't make as much money on those free tiers. So apparently what little they're getting versus nothing before is not enough. And now they might end up going after some of these free tiers if more customers don't convert over to subscription plans, which apparently pay them a greater royalty. And this just was a fascinating article with a lot of neat charts, and it shows you that when people don't want to pay for something, they're just not going to pay for it. And you may as well provide as many options as you can to allow people to watch things or listen to things, in this case, the way they want to, and just accept the fact that some people are always going to be looking for something for free. And at least in the case of free Spotify and free YouTube, the industry is getting some kind of a cut, just not the cut that they want. And I think if the industry hadn't spent the better part of a decade when the century rolled over here suing their customers like they were doing here in the U.S. for some time, 
Uh, they might have had some time to innovate some better streaming solutions. They didn't. And instead, they ended up being reliant upon Apple, Spotify, Google, and many other digital distributors who are taking a cut of their music as it is being sold or streamed to consumers. And again, if they had spent some time actually trying to come up with their own solutions, I don't think they would be in this boat that they are in. And we'll talk a little bit more about some things that the TV industry is doing differently than what the music industry did. And they're making a lot more money now too. And speaking of streaming TV, I was very pleased with the trailer they just released for Star Trek Picard. It looks like an awesome continuation of the Jean-Luc Picard story without going back to making it just into another Star Trek show. Now, of course, we haven't seen much, about two or three minutes of it, uh, but there was enough there that I think really satisfied the fans, and I think they are going to be successful here in creating a new story with familiar characters. I kind of liken this, actually, to what I've been seeing with Cobra Kai on YouTube, where you've got the beloved characters from the original Karate Kid movie, but you've moved them into the future. They're not replicating the past, and it's a whole new story with characters that you're familiar with, and I think that's what they're doing here. Uh, But the bigger thing they've done here is had Patrick Stewart sitting in the writer's room the entire time as they've been putting these stories together. So he's not only the lead actor, but he's also kind of the lead consultant and actually probably a writer. I think he's got producer credits on it as well. He's very much invested in this, and I think he's very tuned in to what the fans are looking for, and he's been channeling the fans' energy as they've been creating this show and writing uh, the scripts out for it. And I think that's what you have to do with a beloved franchise like this, especially when you want to have the original characters come back. And I think if you look at what uh, the Star Wars franchise did with The Last Jedi, If they had involved Mark Hamill in the writing process the way they're involving Patrick Stewart in the writing of this series, I think that movie probably would have been better received. And what's funny is that I kind of liked The Last Jedi, but I didn't like what they did with Luke Skywalker. And my opinion of liking the movie apparently is not a popular one among Star Wars fans, but I always looked at it from the perspective of, hey, this is not mine, it's theirs, and they can do whatever they want with it. But I did not like what they did with Luke, and I think if Mark Hamill had been involved a little bit more with it, Uh, Perhaps it would have gone in a different and better direction. It looks like they're not making that mistake here with Jean-Luc Picard and really giving him, uh, the actor, as much of a role in creating this series to ensure that the fans' voices are heard. And I think to some degree, when you're talking about Star Trek or Star Wars or even some of the Marvel Comics stuff, uh, the fans do really have some ownership of it and perhaps need better representation as these stories are being put together. And I think this is going to be a great example of that in action. We'll have to see what happens when the show airs next year. So I think we're entering into a real golden era of all of these great sci-fi shows. These are six that I'm really interested in, including Star Trek Discovery, which I really have been enjoying. Season two I thought was great. Uh, The Orville really turned into a great alternative to some of the current Star Trek offerings for those that weren't into that. I've been a big fan of that show too. I'm excited for The Mandalorian, which is a new Star Wars show coming to the Disney Plus Network. We've got Picard. There's another Star Trek show coming to CBS All Access called Lower Decks. And then you've got The Expanse. All of these super high-budget shows, great writing, great acting, uh, awesome special effects, and very expensive to put these things together. And that is why I think subscriptions, at least for this kind of content, are the future. You just can't make enough money putting these kinds of shows on free TV where the audiences are... Uh, generally limited for them, but there's enough of that audience for subscription services to actually make them work. 
and apparently this is the result of it. We have never had this much great sci-fi on at once, and now we do, and I am very excited for that because I got stuff to watch, and there's a good chance this stuff isn't going away after a season like it often does on uh, traditional networks. And again, there's a price for that, uh, but I think it's working, at least for those of us who like this kind of content. And I got bad news for those of you who like the Orville as I do because it is also moving away from Fox and going to Hulu for season three. And I thought the ratings on the Orville were really good, and they may have been, so it could just be that Hulu outbid Fox for the show because the show is sold to Fox for production, or it just could be that Fox doesn't see them making as much money in that time slot versus something that might appeal to a wider audience. And of course, the networks now have much smaller audiences than they used to, and they depend on advertising to fund all of the programming that they do. Uh, Now on Hulu, it won't be as much of an issue to keep the Orville going. And if you want to watch the Orville now, you got to have the Hulu subscription. So just be ready for that. Now, if you're curious as to how these shows are actually doing, it's really hard to figure out because none of these streaming platforms report ratings. Sometimes you might hear Netflix saying, hey, we got X number of viewers for this show, but we don't really have the Nielsen equivalent here because most of these streaming platforms are not relying on advertising and therefore don't have to disclose viewership to anyone. And as a result of this, you have to come up with different ways of measurement. And there's a firm out there called Parrot, and they have developed something they call the average daily demand expression. Uh, And this is done through looking at what people are talking about on social media platforms and YouTube uh, critic reviews, that sort of thing. But they're also looking at uh, file sharing platforms. In other words, how much is this content being pirated in addition to it being watched perhaps legally? And they come up with a number and then have a ranking system for determining how shows are doing. And check this out. January through March 2019, here in the U.S., uh, they listed Stranger Things, of course, top of the heap. Uh, And that, I think, was before the new season even started. So there's a sci-fi show. You got the Titans here, number two, on the DC Universe streaming platform. I hadn't even heard of that. Uh, but apparently it is number two on that demand scale. Star Trek Discovery, another sci-fi show, is number three. And you can see a number of other sci-fi shows making the list here, many of them from the DC Universe, and Star Trek, of course, being the only one from CBS All Access to make the cut here. So clearly there uh, is demand on streaming, and there's enough money to be made on streaming for this stuff, but there's not enough on network, and that's why we're all being pushed into these platforms, because you can finally get what you want, because they can corral enough of us together to make something profitable if we all pay for it, and it looks like those efforts are starting to bear some fruit, and I'm actually in the process now of looking at my entire entertainment budget and reallocating that budget to some of these streaming services to accommodate the things that I want to watch, and I'll probably be scaling back my cable subscription as a result. I'll let you know what I end up doing as we get a little further into the year here. And this aversion to science fiction is nothing new for the big networks. I found this article from the Los Angeles Times from May of 1988 about how successful Star Trek The Next Generation was as a first-run syndicated show. They tried to sell it to the major networks. None of them wanted it. Uh, So what Paramount did at the time was they offered the show for free to a number of stations throughout the country that were independently owned. Uh, Those stations, of course, jumped on that opportunity because they were already airing reruns of the original Star Trek. 
Uh, they only had to put up a couple of minutes of advertising that Paramount would shoot down with those shows when they were provided to the channel, but the channel could air it whenever they wanted and then run five minutes of their own commercials throughout the course of the broadcast. It was a win-win, and that's why Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager to a degree all were able to stay on the air for as long as they did because they bypassed this traditional network thing. Uh, But nowadays, most TV stations are owned by large conglomerates that in some cases are almost as big as the big TV networks are themselves. And it's a lot harder to make this model work for free TV in 2019 as it was in 1988. And I think, again, this is pushing everyone over to the subscription model and why we won't see a lot of free stuff on network TV. And now it's time for an update on some things we've talked about prior here on the channel. And of course, my mind has been consumed with VR, probably because I've had these headsets strapped to my head now for the last three and a half or four weeks. Uh, This all began uh, when I got the Valve Index headset a few weeks ago and had a really hard time getting it to work right with my eyes and my head. I was seeing a lot of geometric distortion when I was moving my head around in that headset It was very distracting, and apparently it's something that just relates to my eyes only because I couldn't find anyone else who had the same problem. I got a replacement valve index headset. That didn't solve the issue either, and I chalked it up to my eyes just not being right for that headset. But I really liked the resolution of that headset, which was better than what my original HTC Vive had. It was so much more clearer and crisper. I wasn't getting the screen door effect where you can see the borders of individual pixels. And I liked that about the index. I just couldn't sit in it because it was so weird to have all that distortion going on. So I picked up the Vive Pro during the Amazon Prime Day sale. It was $200 off its inflated price. So I ended up paying $599 for it. Normally it's $799 just for the headset. This is a lot of money, folks. I'm aware of that. Uh, but I really wanted to improve my VR experience, and I think this might be the only way for me at the moment to do that. And of course, I review stuff for a living, so I thought it might be a good topic to include in my VR consumer overview. And overall, I've been pleased with the image quality. It's an OLED display in here versus the LCD displays on the uh, Valve Index, so the contrast ratio is outstanding. Uh, The resolution is outstanding as well. I don't have the screen door effect in here as much as I had on the original Vive, looks very close actually to the index for visual quality, if not a little bit better. Uh, The field of view though is not as good as the index. It's about the same as the Vive, so you won't see your peripheral vision covered as much as the index is, but it's not any different than the headset I've been using uh, for most of the time. My biggest gripe though is with the audio. These headphones are terrible. They are very tinny, they don't sound very good. Uh, It's hard to get them positioned properly. They do adjust a little bit, but they really are just not good. It's the worst part of this headset. The good news is, is that they can be removed. The bad news is that there's no headphone jack on this thing. Can you believe that? They have a USB Type-C connector that is underneath this plastic piece here. So I gotta peel off the, uh, the foam here and then pry off this panel. And when I do that, it doesn't come off easy, by the way. When I do that, there is a USB-C connector. I can plug in a USB-C to headphone jack in there and then get my regular Sennheiser headphones on. Although I am concerned with the big plastic ring around here if I'm going to be able to actually get them over my head. So we're going to have to keep playing with this thing to figure it out. But this was crazy to have such an expensive headset and not have a headphone jack on it. Who do they think they are, Apple or something? I don't know, but... Uh, There's a lot not to like about this, but the image quality, which is what I was after, 
uh, is enough for me to be uh, somewhat okay with it. It runs at 90 frames per second, which is fine for what my PC can do. And overall, it's an improvement over the Vive, the original Vive, but it's not a generational change and certainly not worth the price tag they're asking for it uh, right now, which is $799 for just the headset, not including the sensors and all the controllers and everything else. So we're going to keep playing with it. And once I have a final judgment, I will update you all probably in a standalone video. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Zero One. Uh, who is responding to my Prime Day video. A lot of you liked it, some didn't, and Zero One's comment here was indicative of those who had a more negative response to that video. He says, look, I don't care about people taking things out of boxes, especially when it's about being tricked by a company with a made-up holiday with crap you're on the fence about to begin with. Just wait a few months or another week, and some of the stuff is going to be on sale again. And he's absolutely right. Some things may go on sale again. Uh, yes, I was probably on the fence on a few of those items, and the sale was enough for me to tip the balance of going from thinking about it to buying it. That Vive Pro headset was a great example of something that I wanted but didn't want to spend the full price for. A $200 discount was enough for me. I got a couple of things that I'm going to stream with. I got a great deal on that GoPro to hang up over my head. So there was a lot of stuff that, yeah, I wasn't going to go out and get. But you know, now that they were on sale, I thought it was a good opportunity to improve my production game a bit. But I wanted to talk about the impact of Prime Day because although it is a made-up holiday... There is a significant impact to it. And what you're looking at here is my uh, YouTube views by day on this channel. And this is June, where I get probably the least, or July, where I get the least amount of traffic. And you can see here on Monday, July 8th, I had 34,000 views on the channel. And as we work our way through the week, we're doing about the same. And then look at Prime Day. Boom, 51,200 views in a day. And then it went right back down to normal after that. And this is almost exactly the kind of traffic pattern I see around the holiday season. When we go to the day after Thanksgiving, my traffic goes through the roof and stays there for a while, almost doubles day to day for the entire length of the holiday shopping season. And then I get a little bump after Christmas when everyone comes in looking to figure out how to use the stuff they just got. Uh, And I'm seeing this level of traffic on a day in July, which is normally very slow for me. And it really shows you the impact that Uh, the Prime Day has. And in fact, a lot of the videos people were watching that day were things that were on sale that people were trying to get more information about before they finally did a purchase. So there's a real impact here, fake or not, uh, in the consumer landscape. And it really is driving a lot of sales. And it looks like it was a very successful day for them, according to CNBC. Amazon says that this year's Prime Day surpassed Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined, uh, which is, of course, the prior holiday shopping season. Uh, They sold over 100,000 laptops, 200,000 TVs, 300,000 headphones, luxury beauty products, and over a million toys. Crazy, right? And other retailers probably saw a bump during this period of time as well. I saw a bump in traffic and YouTube revenue as a result of that. There's a real echo effect that uh, this thing has become. And it's real, uh, although it is made up and fabricated to get people to spend money. But it did work, apparently. And it certainly was uh, seen here, both in my traffic and with Amazon's results. And don't forget, in order to do the Prime Day, you got to be a Prime subscriber. So they probably drove a lot of Prime subscriptions on top of that. Uh, So this is a huge moneymaker for Amazon. And although some people might have taken out the trial period for Prime and then will cancel it, I think many already have the account and are keeping it largely because of events like this. And in response to our review of the DS419 Slim from Synology, we got this note from Joe C. about using SSDs in a network-attached storage device. 
He's found in his experience that the life expectancy of SSDs in a server environment is, in his words, crap. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think it is changing, but you got to be careful. Now, I'm not going to give you a highly technical explanation as to how uh, flash technology works, but essentially what you do is you push electrons into a cell and trap them there uh, to write data to a solid-state disk. And that uh, action of pushing that electron into the cell eventually wears the cell out because you are forcing it in there and there's only so many times that you can do that before that cell fails and that is why solid state drives wear out the more that they are written to and of course if you're in a server environment that's an area of concern now over the years there's been a number of different technologies used for uh, SSDs and the first type that we saw were SLCs where you had one bit per cell uh, those drives were very expensive but they also lasted the longest uh, later came MLC which was when we really started seeing the price of those drives reduce significantly uh, that allowed you to put two bits of data per cell in uh, but that came at the cost of reliability uh, what they did to address that for some enterprise users was develop EMLC uh, which would manage how data was getting written to the drive in a smarter way so you would balance out the uh, wear over time. But it wasn't perfect, but it was better than just straight up MLC. And now we are seeing a lot of TLC drives. Uh, these are storing three bits per cell, and now we're getting into stuff like 3D NAND flash where you're actually stacking the cells on top of each other inside of the chip. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. But all of these drives, even the newest, smartest drives out there, are subject to wear over time and will eventually wear out. And that's why I was so surprised when I started digging into these Seagate Ironwolf NAS drives that they are, based on TLC technology, uh, yet being essentially sold and marketed as something that might work in a server environment for a network-attached storage device. And at the higher capacities, they also have these really weird capacity levels here, 3.84 terabytes. That seemed very specific to me. And I then dug into their data sheets, and they're actually advertising some pretty good uh, write uh, capabilities here over time. So that 3.84 terabyte drive uh, can have 7,000 terabytes written to it before they say the drive will wear out, and they're giving you a five-year warranty on top of that. And I did some additional research into it, and it looks like what they're doing is, in addition to being smart about leveling out the wear, uh, they are also putting a lot more cells on the drive that are not being used right away, and then they're reallocating those unused cells when other ones are showing signs of wear. So they can basically bring in new cells to write to when the cells that they've been using uh, are starting to show signs that they may be about to wear out and cause data loss. So the drive is managing all of that, and they're essentially, uh, I guess, over-provisioned in that there are more cells that you can write to than what will be available to the user, but the drive will bring in those cells over time in order to prevent it from wearing out overall. And I think this is one of the first real NAS-marketed drives. I think C uh, Samsung may have one as well, and it looks like they're really guaranteeing this thing to work over the long term. So what I would suggest you do if you are intending to run a solid-state drive-based NAS device is to go out and do some research on the drives you're about to purchase to see what the manufacturer is rating the total rights at. Uh, so here you see Seagate did that with this drive, but I'm finding many consumer drives don't provide that information, which means the company really isn't warrantying it for uh, that kind of use. So I think if you can find that data sheet, you'll at least have something that you can have some confidence with 
And then, of course, look at the length of the warranty as well. But just know that there is a risk here because if you're doing a lot of writing to those solid state drives, it will wear out a lot faster than a spinning drive might. And I think if you are looking for an asset you just want to set up and put in the closet and let it run, uh, you can't really go wrong with a spinning hard drive, even though it might be a little bit slower in accessing your data. You at least will not have the right wear out uh, that you will with a solid state disk. And we're also seeing this high endurance flash being marketed in SD cards. Uh, SanDisk has a card now with that as its title, the high endurance line. I picked up a 128 gig card the other day for a dashboard camera. They cost a little bit more than their standard SD cards and they're rating them uh, for much greater writing capacity. Uh, So for example, the 256 gig card is rated for 20,000 hours of 1080p recording. And that's often a hard number to come up with because if I record it half a megabit, I will have a lot more endurance than I would if I was recording at five megabits. But uh, I guess they must have came up with an average based on what most security cameras record at. Uh, the 128 that I got is rated for 10,000 hours. But again, they're developing more confidence in the right ca- capability of these flash devices. And they're starting to market and warranty things based on that. Uh, So we'll have to see how this card does in the long run in my car. I don't drive all that much, so it might take a few years for me to even get close to half of its uh, rated capacity here. But I'll keep an eye on it, and we'll let you know how it does over the long term. And this last question comes in from a video that I did almost six years ago. Uh, One of the things that I love about YouTube is that my videos stay relevant for a long period of time. And this particular video was about a scam uh, attempt that was made against me. And I happened to have my phone recorder nearby, so I was able to record the entire conversation that I had with this scammer. Uh, They called up pretending that they were Microsoft tech support and wanted to log into my computer and do who knows what to it. Uh, And uh, this guy says, hey, no one falls for this. These scammers think we are too IQ or something, but the reality is a lot of people fall for it. And that will bring me to my pick of the week this week because six years on, these calls are still going on and they're getting worse and more sophisticated and more people are falling into this trap. And there's a great YouTube channel uh, by this guy, Jim Browning, who focuses on nothing but this. And he's got a ton of videos uh, looking at what these uh, strategies are that these scammers employ, but also people that have fallen for these scams and what happens to them when they do. He's even installed uh, monitoring software on the scammers themselves. He's been able to trick them sometimes into installing key loggers and other things that he's been able to do to kind of get into their networks and see exactly what is going on and who they're calling. And in many cases, this guy has helped get people out of the scam uh, by separating them from the uh, scammers through some various means. It's kind of a really neat channel, and I would definitely suggest you check it out, especially if you know people that might be susceptible to this kind of thing to educate yourself and then educate them as to what to do when one of these people calls. And again, that's Jim Browning's channel that you can see linked here on screen. And my Q&A for you this week is whether or not you've had one of these calls and whether or not you kept them on the line for a while like I did. Uh, It's kind of funny because they stay on for quite a while when they think they may have somebody and then it's always fun to waste their time. Uh, making them run around in circles. Uh, So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of stuff that we're going to look at. I just got in the new Wise light bulbs, which are inexpensive, smart LED lights that you can install around your house. They work with the other Wise things that we have looked at, so we'll be looking at those. Uh, We're also going to be looking at using uh, Xbox and PlayStation controllers on the iPad OS beta. 
I was asked to make sure I point out that it's a beta this time and not just the regular release version. Uh, it will be coming out probably around September, uh, but you can download it and put it on your iPad right now. And we tested out, again, the Xbox and the Sony PlayStation controllers. We'll see how well it works with streaming games throughout the home and for some other things. And if you install iOS 13, you can get the same functionality on your iPhone, too. Uh, we're going to look at a printer. I know that's kind of boring, but these do very well on the channel. Uh, this is a low-footprint color laser printer from HP. Uh, it does scanning and copying and printing, of course, and we'll be doing a quick review of that one coming up. I also got in the a little handheld thing here. I forgot the name of it already, but you guys know what it is. Uh, it's an alternative to that uh, Bit, uh, BitBoy Pocket Go, uh, which I wasn't that crazy about. This one costs a little bit more, but does a little better. I just started messing around with it. We'll have a little bit more on that later in the week. Also hope to get to that Piper Command Center soon, which is a build-your-own uh, game controller. It's uh, on the docket for live streams when I do get the next one going. And I'll probably look at that Windows Mixed Reality headset this week along with a few other things, too, if I get to it. i got a lot on the docket. I'll see how much I can get done, and we'll see what else shows up throughout the course of the week. As you know, I do chase a lot of shiny objects. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can make a super chat contribution to one of my live streams or premieres. You can also go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also still support Patreon. I should mention, too, that uh, all of the Patreon funds that we bring in go out to the two part-time employees who help us out here on the channel. So that money is put to good use and helps keep jobs going here. So uh, that is where those funds go, in case you're wondering. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. We also have other channels you can find me on, including my Extras channel for supplementary content and unboxings. We have my podcast, which has an audio version of this show and a few other things that I do throughout the course of the month at lon.tv podcast. We have the Snippets channel, where you can find portions of this show in a more search-friendly and shareable format. That's at lon.tv snippets. And of course, we have my live stream archive at lon.tv livestreams where you can see every one of my prior live streams and stream them for hours on end if you want. If you like what I do, click the bell because I do go live at random times and this bell will notify you every time that I do that along with anything else that I happen to upload uh, throughout the course of the week. We have other ways to engage with the channel too. You can sign up for my email list at lon.tv email. This is very infrequent. I'll usually send out an email if there's something important to tell you, but generally I won't fill up your inbox. Uh, we have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, which has uh, most of my extras channel content as well. We're just trying to build up a more uh, Facebook video presence, even though they're not paying much these days. Uh, we also have my Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group, where we have almost 700 fans of the show uh, talking to each other and to me. And it's a great resource for me because a lot of topics for this show come from that group. So definitely sign up. Uh, there are two simple questions you have to ask to uh, answer to join, and once you answer those questions, you will be let in. But if you don't answer the questions, we think you might be a spammer, and we don't let you in. So just answer the questions, and you'll get, get in the door, and you can uh, commiserate with all of us. And then we have the store at lon.tv store, where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel, and I'm now getting rid of. And I also have what I call tag sale items, which are other gadgets and doodads that I am looking to get rid of. And I'd rather sell them to all of you through my store than on eBay. Uh, so you'll find a whole bunch of stuff on there right now. I just added a bunch of things over the weekend. 
And every time I add something, I send out an alert via email, which you can sign up for separately at lon.tv slash store alert. So if there's something you're looking for, uh, sign up for that email list and you'll get a notification every time uh, we send out a new product to the store for you to purchase. So definitely check it out. Uh, these are one-offs. There's only one of everything. Uh, so once it's gone, it is gone because I am not selling this stuff retail. It's just used stuff that we reviewed or have sitting around the house here and I want to get rid of it. So that's what the store is all about. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I greatly appreciate all of the feedback and support that you have been providing over these last couple of years. As you see, this show largely is built upon the interests of you. So keep those questions and comments coming because they will hopefully provide enough content for us to keep going for the next couple of years or more. And again, thank you all for watching. And until next time, this is Lon Seipen. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, emudev.org, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.